If you've been here uh, for not that short amount of time, you will know that I've mentioned things like up in and out on a regular basis, um, the triangle and all these kind of things. But the important thing to remember is that our Christian life is made up or is, uh, yeah, is made up of three key relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with fellow believers, and our relationship with the world. And that was the pattern that Jesus lived out his life. You saw how he would spend time with God in prayer, and if there was anyone who didn't need to do that, you would think that God himself wouldn't need to do that, but nevertheless he did. He also spent time with his disciples, and he spent time with unbelievers preaching the gospel and healing the sick. And these three aspects in our lives should be reflected in our lives as well. We need to make sure that we are developing our relationship with God, that we are spending time with other fellow believers, and we are also spending time with those who don't know Jesus in order to be a witness and to be able to share the good news. So um, I'm reminding us that because... It's so easy that we forget and we can get into our little ruts and we can get stuck in certain ways and we don't realise that actually we're not growing in God in a healthy way, in a balanced, healthy way. And so um, I'm quite happy to repeat that on a regular basis and probably will. Um, So, yeah. Um, But in thinking about that, we also realise that our relationship with God is the cornerstone to other relationships. Amen in this room? checking you with me here and sometimes I think we the battles that we face the real battles are those that will seek to disrupt that relationship with God agree Um, because that is the most important relationship we need to make sure that we are spending time growing in God and um, and I believe that God wants to throughout this whole pandemic it's always been a uh, a concurrent theme in my heart that God is using this to take us deeper into him, but at the same time, it will cause people to have a realisation that they are not deep in him. Or in other words, some will be drawn away from him because they haven't had the disciplines, the personal disciplines of spending time with God, of growing in the Lord in those three areas on their own. And so I want to speak into that today. Um, And on this main point, The the greatest threat to our relationship with God is not the devil, um, it is not the world, but it's self. And um, I want to talk about this this morning, because these these days it is so much easier for us to compromise um, in our relationship with God or bring compromise, but also to compromise biblical truth. There's so much stuff out there at the moment. There's this whole move called progressive Christianity, which is essentially uh, apostasy, for one, if you want to look at the words. It is essentially people taking all that they've learnt here and rethinking the whole thing from 2,000 years and deciding that it's not relevant anymore. It's turning back on biblical truth. And so I know that's happening, and I know also there's lots of things going on in the world where things are wanting us to conform to the way of the world, and we've talked about that before. But this, I think, is the most, most important thing. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, it talks about, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
And, I, and this is something I want to say this morning, I believe that God wants to remind us that our self, and I'll explain what that is, our natural desires will seek to rob us of the blessing of God. And it's very much great to sort of, Satan is our enemy, the world seeks to conform us, but we have to be strong, as the scripture teaches us, in what we deal with ourself, our nature. And um, so un underlying in me, I know and you will know that times we are tempted, and temptation isn't sin, but that temptation is where our sinful nature will seek to lure us and entice us. It's, it's our self, me, myself and I, everything about me first, self, anything you can put self before, those things are seeking to draw us away from being Christ-focused onto me-focused. And it's the biggest problem, I think, facing the church. It will always be the big problem face church as I said devil doesn't have to do much because our self does it for us and um, J. John said this the heart of the problem is a problem with the heart there's a move in western society that says everything needs to change around me in order for me to be safe and people use these words safe spaces um in order for me to be able to um, be free in a society, everything around me has to change to suit me. You need to call me what I determine myself to be. You need to change your language that doesn't offend me, which leads to the number of things that are offensive just going through the roof, depending on each individual you're with. It's a subjective reality that is basically there is this desire where everything is becoming about me. I mean, this isn't new. This is sin from the very beginning. Everything is about me. But more in the West, it's becoming so, in my personal opinion, so out of hand that um, I don't know if you've read latest about this new hate uh, bill in Scotland where someone actually pointed out, he said, if this goes through because it's not being thought through properly, you would, the, the Bible would be banned. Because the Bible says things that are truth, but offensive to other people. Basically to every sinner. And so this is all what's going on in this world, but it all is really, the problem isn't actually about changing society, although that helps but it's actually about changing the heart. And Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is the throne room of the human being. And we have to ask ourselves, who sits on the throne of our heart? Probably did that in Sunday school, if you was in Sunday school. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Who is the one who is ruling in your life? is another way of saying it. And if we're to remain right with God, we need to bring our hearts before God. We have to be honest. We have to ask God to change us. And uh, if you're watching this morning, I don't know who's watching, if, if, uh, and you do not know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, because when the Lord and Jesus is Lord and Saviour, we're saying you 
are invited to sit in, on the throne room of my heart. You first, me second. And if anyone who doesn't know the Lord, changing our behaviour, our activity, what we do, doesn't do anything, it's very good, but it doesn't do anything to change the heart. In other words, we need a change of heart which will then change our actions. That's the gospel. The gospel is not one of good works, it is one of a new heart. So everyone, who, when people come into churches, they're surprised that people aren't perfect because it's not about perfection in the sense of our activities of our life. It's about a new heart and learning day by day to live out our salvation through our actions, through our activity. So we ask Jesus by faith to change our hearts. And if we were to consider our lives, and maybe you could take a moment this morning, and you look at your actions, you think of your thoughts or your intentions, do you, when you know something's wrong, do you seek to change your actions or do you seek to change your heart? What do you do? Maybe you've done something this week and you knew it was wrong and you thought, rightly so, I need to stop doing that. And you did that. And then the next week comes along and you do it again. You say, I mustn't do that. I should stop doing that. Again, rightly so. But at what point in that time did you say, there must be a root to this issue and that root is in my heart. There's a heart problem here when I keep going back to doing old, bad, wrong things. And this is, you know, you think about, I'm not a gardener, so I've, I did some Googling so now I'm an expert. See, if there's an issue in the root of a plant, addressing the leaves won't remove the issue. If the root issue causes the leaves to wilter and you just tear them off, it doesn't change the problem. Right? It's right, isn't it? Looking at gardeners here. Um, see, we have to ask ourselves, and here's a question for us, why do we compromise? Why do we allow ourselves to do things that we know are wrong? Why? Why do we allow sin in our lives? And these sins are like these wilting leaves that are a sign that there's a problem in the roots. There's a problem in the heart. And I think one of the reasons that we compromise is because we've lost sight of the person of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone relationship of our lives. Someone asked me a question, and it was a really, it was a really good question. And it was this. If I was born into sin, and sin in me makes me commit sinful acts, why am I accountable for my actions? In other words, they were saying, when I was born, it was not my choice that I'd be born into sin. But that sin makes me do things, cause me to do things that are sinful. How am I accountable for those sinful actions? And I thought that was a really good question. And this was my reply along these lines. Sin is the disposition of the natural human being that causes us to commit sins. It is our natural state of being, sinful. We have sin, we inherit it from Adam. And this sin causes us to commit sins. These sins are activities, thoughts, intentions that are in disobedience to God. But sin is the real problem here. Sin is defiance 
against God. It is the statement, me first, I rule my life. See, God does hold us accountable for our sins, but due to our sinful nature, we would already be judged because of our defiance against God. So let me use this example. So you could say to someone, okay, well, let's just take away all the sins that you've done, right? Can you stand before God? And I said, if sin is defiance against God, it doesn't matter what sins you've done because your state of being is in defiance against God. It's in rebellion against God. So if Jesus comes and dies on the cross for you and says, I've made a way that you can be set free from sin. Sin can be taken away, washed clean by the blood of of the Lamb. Do you want it? The sin in people says no. And that's what we're judged on. That's the issue. That's the problem. It's that sin. It's not just because you watched the wrong thing or you said the wrong thing or you thought the wrong thing or you intended to do the wrong thing but you didn't because you would have got caught out. It's sin. It's the issue is right there. There's a guy that I follow on Instagram, and the reason that I, got, I come to know him is because his name is Benjamin Watson. Uh, not my son, but he's an American ex-footballer, I think, American football, um, and he's a Christian. And he was on CNN, and he was talking about all the... He's a, he's a black guy. He was talking about all the riots in America. He's American, uh, clearly. Um, and, and this is what he said on CNN. He said, the problem is sin. I thought, man, this guy's amazing. And he's telling you, he said, until people get right with God, and this CNN was trying to change the subject. And I said, yes, it's the problem of sin. The problem is a problem of the heart. It's a problem of sin. And what a man, what a man to stand up there and say, and use his platform to preach the truth. And this is the thing. See, if you don't feel responsible for what sin has made you do, you are responsible for your response to Jesus. We are responsible for what we are doing and how we are responding to our nature, to ourself. See, question again, let me reiterate this, and the question is not about the sins we've committed, but have you had your sin dealt with? why so many people incorrectly try to get right before they come to God because they've got it the wrong way around but Jesus went to the cross not just to forgive sins but to deal a death blow to sin itself he made it possible that the sin in a human heart before Christ which has power over us we have no choice but to sin he says it rendered powerless by the death of Jesus and by the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, verse 5 to 11 says this, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will not also live with him. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 6, 5 to 11. And let me just pick out this verse. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing or rendered powerless so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And when we talk about self or the um, old self, we can say flesh or natural man, they all refer to the same thing. And this is the good news, that we can be set free from the power of sin. Amen? And in other words, we do not have to sin. We probably will sin, but it is possible not to sin. Because if it was impossible not to sin, then Christ's death was incomplete. So a Christian is someone who's come to God in repentance, faith, trusting, relying on what Jesus has done on the cross to take away our sin, who has received forgiveness of sin, has received the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God that dwells in the Christian brings new life and power in to live in righteousness. That's what a Christian is. So, talking to the Christians this morning. So, it is possible that we can and are compromising. It's possible. But Paul says, the Christian is one who can now walk in the spirit and no longer has to walk in the flesh or sinful nature. He says this in Galatians 5 verse 16. I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Before we were born again, we wanted to do the things of sin. When you're born again, you want to do the things of righteousness. But you find another work at work. This is what Paul's saying here. He's saying there is the flesh that's fighting, warring, opposing the spirit. But we have power over that. We have power over that desire. And self, and again, if, if self-pity, self-centeredness, self-consciousness, self, all these kind of things, it's where the self is trying to oppose what God wants to do. And I know it, and I'm sure you will know it, there are times where you feel God wants you to do something, but self-something comes up and says, oh, oh. self-consciousness, self there's a word there, where you talk down yourself. You f- find the word. Not self-deprivation. Self-condemning, yeah. Self-destructive. Distractive or destructive? Oh, we can make up whatever words, can't we? Is it possible then... For a Christian to commit sin, yes. Because we carry with us a sinful nature which has the capacity to sin, but the power of it has been rendered power by the Spirit of God within us. Temptation is the stirring of our broken, fallen nature. It is warring against the Spirit of God in us, but we resist temptation. Temptation itself is not sin, 
by yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit to resist sinful desires. Our old self will always cry out for itself. Ephesians 4.22 says, Pull off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul wouldn't need to say that to the Christians of Ephesians if everyone just naturally did the right thing the whole time. We have to walk in the spirit, we have to put off the old man, we have to put on the new man. These are ways in which we have to live. And compromise happens when we start to listen to the old man, the old self. It's okay if you do this. Don't worry about doing that. I like singing that song, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. It reminds me when Jesus used the uh, story, the parable of the, um, ha- the houses that were built on rock and sand. You can read that in Matthew 7, 24, 27. One man builds his house on the rock. The other man builds his house on the sand. When the winds and things come, the sand one falls flat and the one that rocks still... Um, still stands. But this is what he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. How is your building going? Are you building your life on the rock? See, compromise starts, happens when we start to take our eyes off Jesus and onto other things. And if you're compromising, then it's not just about stopping doing something or starting doing something, although that's helpful. We have to look at our heart. This is my main point this morning. And we ask ourselves, why are we allowing sin and self to take the lead in our life? Why are we giving self and sin power in my life? Why has compromise occurred? What brought you to compromise? Where is your love for God at? Is it dull? Have you lost your first love, as it said in Revelations um, to the church at Ephesus? Self rises when we neglect our love for Christ and we have to teach ourselves again afresh continually that Jesus is the most precious treasure to us don't wait for experience embrace the truth of that see if you've embraced sin and we know as I'm talking this if you've embraced sin and you may be justifying it at the moment as well and you may be calling the grace card as well you might be saying, but the grace of God is sufficient. Romans, I think it's the end of chapter 5 or beginning of chapter 6, that as the, as the sin increases, so grace abounds even more. Amen. It's grace for us. We will never be free completely, if you like. We are free in Christ through faith, but we carry with us this body of sin and grace abounds for us. Amen. But grace is not there to justify sin. And so if you're justifying sin, that's self, and that's sin. See, if you've embraced self, all your energy at the moment is about you, your happiness, you, what you're, how you're getting through life day to day, and then I want to suggest that you've lost sight of Christ. So what do we do? This is the first thing I want to encourage us this morning with. So we're, we're saying this. If there's compromise, if there's sin, of course you need to stop doing things that you shouldn't be doing and start doing the things that you should be doing. 
absolutely. But that's not going to solve the issue. The issue is an issue with the heart. And this is the first thing I want us to look at. The first thing is this, we need to humble ourselves. At the root of self is pride. And pride has two faces, arrogance and shame. Arrogance says, well, I'm doing fine, thank you very much. All right, John, I'll, I'll have a little muse about that. I'll see how I go. I'll think about that for a bit and hope that it will wear off as you go about your day. Shameless says, well, I'm not going to show myself up by confessing my sin. It says, confess your sin one to another. Shame says, how can I be, how can I let that out? How can I get out of this thing that I'm in? And it's both pride and we need to put to death pride, humble ourselves before God and ask someone for prayer and support. That's what church is about, isn't it? First go to God in repentance for taking the reins of your life on yourself and then lay it all down and trust in the grace of God and the love of God to take you on from there. The second thing is there is no magic bullet. There's no special knowledge. There's no secret. We open up our Bibles and we read it. We pray. We worship. We get together other believers as is possible. All these things are the basic things of being a Christian. And it's amazing how it's because of these things that people move into sin. They stop reading their Bible. They're no longer praying. They've stopped worshipping and praising God. And they stop meeting with people, other believers. Back to basics. There's nothing new in the scriptures. If, in the, if there was something new in the last 2,000 years, I think we've probably got it here. No new, if someone comes out with a new special revelation, I'd be very surprised whether it's true. We need to be careful of special revelations, special knowledge that only a few can have. The third thing is feed the right thing. I want to tell a little story, a little illustration. I'm going to tell you how it breaks down after a while, okay? So there was a, an American preacher who uh, was preaching to native Indians and he went to see this newly born-again chief and he said to him, I, you know, he said, you know, chief, how's it going? And the chief replied, he said, you know, it's been a bit tough. He said, he said let me give you an illustration. There's two dogs inside. There's a small dog and a big dog, always fighting. And so the preacher asked him, well, what dog is winning? And the chief said, the one that I feed the most. And people use this illustration that within us there's two natures. There's the nature of the old self and of the new self, of the old man, of the spirit man, if you like, of self and of God. What are you feeding? If you feed the old man... You feed the natural man all the junk of this day. The world, some entertaining stuff, doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, but it doesn't feed your spirit. And then you've got the spiritual things, some of the things I've mentioned, the word of God. The word in itself is enough. Worship, prayer, encouraging one another, serving the Lord, being obedient, all these kind of things. What are you going to feed? Are you feeding just your flesh or you're feeding your spirit? See, I think that's really helpful, but the problem is, you see, it falls down. is because the picture puts these things. I know he said a small dog and a big dog, 
but there's one that we need to put to death. We need to kill one of the dogs. Yeah? That might not go down in these days. Um, it's a bit like this, you know, um, I'm not a great fan of McDonald's, and I know there's some McDonald's um, uh, people here who like McDonald's. The thing I don't like about McDonald's is I can have a McDonald's and I'm hungry again pretty much sooner, sooner within an hour. I'm hungry again. It doesn't really feed me. It's nice at the time. They all taste the same. There's chicken, there's beef. All the chicken stuff tastes the same. The beef stuff tastes the same. Yeah? We all, we all know it. Um, but then I like a roast dinner. When I go home this afternoon, I'm going to cook a roast lamb dinner. And I will enjoy that and it will fill me up and it will be good. You know? And that's the thing. The things of the Spirit is like a real roast dinner. <laughs> See, we need to put to death the old man. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Read the Word. There's, you know, uh, the Word of, or, or, or listen to sermons. But let me encourage you this. There is a whole host of sermons out there. They're free of money. They're, they're out there everywhere. And they're all about you. And there's a bunch of sermons out there, and they might be harder to find, but they're all about him. They might not have the application about how it's going to work in your life and how you're going to walk in it. It might not have that, but it might do. But the stuff that's Christ-focused, that teaches you about Jesus and about God and about him, will have dramatic effects on your life, whether you understand it fully or not than the stuff that's about how you are, and I believe this, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to this stuff, you are a child of God, you are loved, you are precious, you are, do have worth, you are amazing, and they're good to listen to. So I'm not saying you shouldn't, but what I'm saying is seek out that which is like a roast dinner about Jesus and about, the dare I say the word, theology. Everyone has a theology. It means a God... Um, an understanding of God. Build it up by understanding more than just who you are and how you are loved of God. And that might put your back up a little bit. But if you're building something, if you're building a life, you build it with solid blocks at the bottom. All this stuff that in the end is going to be rendered over. You're not going to see it. But because of that, that your house is still built. All the kind of stuff, what the paint is, your window seals and what colour door you got. That's all the stuff like you're precious, you're wonderful, you're amazing. I'm so encouraged by you these days. You know, you're beautiful. Oh, I said that when I looked at Dave. You're, you know, you are Dave. Um, it's all that is just stuff that goes on, on the walls in my view. But the stuff that keeps the house strong is do you understand the nature of sin? Do you understand that it's not because you, because you keep watching the wrong things or you keep going the wrong places? Get to the heart of it. The heart is the problem. Ask Jesus, dare I say the words, into your heart. It's not a biblical notion, but into, if you like, your situation, to deal with your heart. That's good theology. That's good understanding. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Get Christ-focused in your sermons and all these kind of things. The, the fourth thing I want to say is the word of God is enough. And what the point I want to make here is, is that we don't always get an experience. Now I'm someone who is, I would be quite happy to be called someone who loves to experience the presence of God. I believe in it. I believe God speaks to you. 
I haven't heard him speak to me audibly or anything like that, but I could sense the direction of the Lord for his words at times, and I felt his love upon me, his acceptance, the joy of the Lord. I've had so many experiences, and may I, um, um, God willing, have so much more. But experiences are not always there, but the word is always there. And the word is enough. Go to the word, read the word. If you don't understand it, don't worry about it. Let it minister to you. It is enough. It is enough to believe the word. You don't have to have an experience in order to the word to be right. The word is enough. Can I get that across to us? Amen. Read it, believe it, obey it. Maybe I am, okay, read it, believe it, obey it. Maybe at heart I am an evangelical who is also a charismatic. Yeah? Yeah? That's anything to you. (laughs) Amen. The fifth thing, ask Jesus to get to the heart of the issue. Trust Jesus to get to the heart of the issue. You know, it's his job, the Spirit's job, to deal with your heart. It's our job to yield to him and humble ourselves before him, be honest before him. The church is full of sinners, praise God. That's why I'm here. I'm allowed to be here. Now, I'm not, I know that we are saints. We are the grace of God. We are loved of God. But I'm here because Jesus is the one who's dealing with my heart. See, we can change our actions through enthusiasm until that dies out. As I said earlier, enthusiasm doesn't change the heart. If there's compromise, there's a heart problem, not just a problem with the decisions you're making. So we come before him as a child of God. So I want to finish with this, and maybe the the guys want to come and um, get ready. See, in these days of separations of church, Many of us not seeing people that much unless it's on Zoom at all, feeling very separated. I believe that God is calling us to go deeper with him. He's still seeking to deepen and grow relationships. He's still building this church. He's still reaching out. He's still doing amazing things. This whole 2020, is, should, we should not look back and say, well, that was a dead, dull year. We should look back and say, that was the year where I went deeper into God. So let's keep our eyes on God. Don't miss the opportunities because we're distracted by ourselves and the world. Let's listen to him. Let's beware of compromise and let's worship and praise him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the only person who has the authority and the ability to deal with our hearts. And by the Holy Spirit working in us continually, Lord, we bring our hearts before you. Lord, and I want to thank you for your grace. This isn't a sermon that to bring condemnation because there is no condemnation now in Christ Jesus. Lord, because of your wonderful grace. But Lord, we want to be a people who are not robbed of your blessing, are not robbed of relationship because we have allowed sin or self to rule in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you will bring conviction where that's needed. 
Lord, that you will bring um, a clarity what's needed, Lord. You'll bring strength, a humility, Lord, courage, Lord, to share and to speak out to those that we know love us, who can pray with us. Lord, there is not one perfect person amongst us. Lord, you are the only perfect example. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your ministry of your Holy Spirit that says, nevertheless, I will love you. I want to draw you in deeper. I want you to know me in a, in a greater way. I want you to trust me in a greater way. And, Lord, we want to say, yes, Lord, we want to know you in that way. So we just, I just commit these things to you. Commit us as a church body in Jesus' name. Amen.